This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Cover 2, our podcast on the Cleveland Browns. This is Dan Kadar, joined, as always, by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, normally I ask how you're doing, but quite frankly, I don't care. Do you just want to gloat about uh, winning our draft bet just to start things off here? Well, I call him Greg Galleyboy Newsom the second, and I'll leave it at that. Wow, that's that's brutal. Uh, yeah, if, if anybody doesn't know or you haven't been listening toward the end of our podcast, we've been having some fun uh, leading up to the draft, making a bet on who the Browns would pick. Nate had cornerbacks, and if the Browns took cornerback, I owed him a galley boy, and not only did we make that bet, I doubled down. And I, I gave Nate, what did I give you? Uh, defensive end or linebacker? Linebacker. Linebackers, which, yeah. You know. and, and if the Browns took either of those positions, corner or linebacker, I would give you a galley boy and potato teaser from Swenson's, and I lost. So now I owe you, I owe you dinner or lunch, however you choose it. And it seems as though your wife has weaseled her way into getting a, a milkshake <laughs> out of this somehow, too. So I guess, you know, dinner dinner for the Ulrichs is on me. Thanks, Browns. Um, so, yeah, we're today we're going to look at the, at the draft, what the Browns did, you know, kind of give a big-picture overview for, for the draft and, and what it means for the Browns. So, Nate... You know, leading up to the draft, the the word that you used quite often to describe general manager Andrew Barry was aggressive. And I I think that was an appropriate word. Would you use that word to describe how he handled the 2021 NFL draft? Or or does another word that describes Barry or the Browns come to mind? Well, I mean, I think a lot of words come to mind, you know, logical, patient, targeted, Um, you know, the fact that they didn't go up and get a cornerback in the first round, that they they let it come to them and it fell their way and they get Newsom at 26, I think speaks to those adjectives. You know, in the second round, the the story from Paul D. Podesta is that the Browns considered – Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa at number 26. They took Newsom there, obviously. But then, you know, there in, in night two of the draft, Owusu Koromoa is sliding down the board, and Andrew Berry makes the trade to go up and get him from 59 to 52. So, you know, it wasn't crazy. They didn't, you know, give up a lot, and it was just moving back with one of their third round picks uh, into the fourth round. 
So, you know, it wasn't like a crazy aggressive move, but they did go up a little bit to make sure that they got that guy. So, you know, I, I would say that in that instance, they, they were, uh, you know, a little bit aggressive. And, you know, Andrew Barry had his fun joking about it afterward that he he kind of broke, you know, two so-called rules of analytics by trading up and picking a linebacker in one fell swoop. So he had fun with the media about that. Yeah, that that was quite ironic, actually, I thought. And, you know, based on the strength of their first two picks, a lot of people are giving the Browns rave reviews for what they did in the draft. And, you know, honestly, they, they got two really good contributors. I, I don't want to jump to a conclusion and say Newsom and and Jeremiah Wusukormo are starters, but I think they're going to get starter amount of snaps. That makes sense. But um, I have a theory, actually, Nate, about about the pick of Owusu Koromoa, which, by the way, real quick, are we calling him J-O-K, Jock, or something else? What what are we going with here for him? I'm going to call him Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa because I haven't had a chance to ask him if he's okay with any of that other stuff. Okay, and I'm, good. I'm a little sensitive about that with Francisco Lindor going to <laughs> New York and saying that he didn't like Frankie. So, no, I'm serious. Like, I... You know, I just, you know, want to be respectful and people deserve to be called by the names they want to be called by. So I'm going to yeah. for now go with Jeremiah Uso Koromoa. Um, if he if he's cool with JOK or anything like that, that, you know, obviously um, I think everybody would kind of jump on board with that. But um, yeah. I, I have talked to uh, some people, you know, I, I was on a Zoom call with Brian Kelly, Notre Dame's coach the other day. I was on a phone call with. Uh, Clark Lee, um, you know, who is his defensive coordinator and position coach um, throughout his time at Notre Dame, and he called him Wu, but I haven't talked to him about it, so, <laughs> and, you know, we'll get there, I guess, maybe one day over Zoom, and, you yeah. know, hopefully in the in, in the locker room at, at some point in the history of uh, our existence. <laughs> <laughs> This this is actually what I, I really like about uh, our podcast, and I, I hope our listeners kind of pick up on it, too. I, I always love hearing the inner workings of how you reporters go about your work. And even if it's small things like that, you know, the, the consideration given to, hey, you know what, I, I want to call this guy what he wants to be called. That's That's part of the job. So that's neat to me. But... Um, back back to my my theory about the second round, Nate. You can you can tell me this is a totally crackpot theory, and this is not based in any facts or anything, but it's just a theory I have. I I don't think Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa was the player the Browns really wanted in the second round. Now. I think it's good that they got him. I think it, I think they're happy that they got him. And I'm, I guess I believe Paul D. Podesta that they considered him in the first round. But uh, all teams say that about the players they take later in the draft. Um, my my theory is that they really wanted one of those wide receivers 
in in that in the second round. And I'm talking about Elijah Moore of Ole Miss, and I'm talking about uh, your guy, the the other Moore, Rondale Moore from Purdue, who went just a few picks before the Browns traded up. He went 49 to Arizona. It, do you think I'm completely crazy in thinking that's what the Browns wanted to do? My basis is we we've talked about. Um, the, the linebacker value for the team. And we talked about the, the need to get a speed receiver, which they did in the third round. So do you think I'm crazy thinking they really wanted one of those Elijah Moore or Rondale Moores in the second round? What are your thoughts? I don't think you're crazy, but I would frame it a little bit different. I think there, there were a number of guys, whatever that number may be, three, five, um, you know, somewhere in that range. Whatever it may be, I think there were a number of players who they liked heading into the second round and thought if this guy, this guy, this guy, or this guy starts sliding to a certain range, we are going to try to trade up and get that player because we have those two third round picks to, you know, use as, you know, one of them is ammunition in this move up. So I think that's the way it was. And I think that uh, from listening to Andrew Barry on, on Zoom with, uh, you know, the Browns beat writers during the draft and then on some of his in-house programming uh, that he does, you know, the Browns in-house programming, he was on some of that. Um, the way he describes it is once Owusu Koromoa started to, to fall, into a range the Browns were, were comfortable in. The Browns called three or four teams and they they got a deal in place with the Panthers that was contingent upon Usu Koromoa being there at 52. So I don't know at what point in the draft they had that deal in place. Like, mm. did they have it at 49? Like, did they have it before Rondale Moore was picked at 49? Mm-hmm. Um that I don't know for sure. I don't, you know, I don't know the timing of it, but th- this is the way Andrew Berry describes it. That they they saw the slide of Usu Cormo and they began actively calling and and check and ended up I, the number he gave was three or four teams. They end up getting the deal with Carolina. They have that deal in place, and I don't know the timing of when they had it in place, but they had it in place, and it, they, it was agreed upon. But it's not like they just make the deal. They say this is the trade as long as our guys there when you Carolina Panthers go on the clock, the Carolina Panthers go on the clock. It was is still there. The terms of the deal are then finalized. Um, Andrew Berry calls in the league for the trade, calls Usukaramo to notify him. They're going to pick him, And then they, they, you know, they turn the card in and the rest is history. So I, you know, I think that there's something to what you're saying because I think it was Paul D. Podesta who also said that you know they did not expect Karim, they He definitely, I'm, let me rephrase, D. Podesta definitely said they did not expect Uso Koromo to, to fall as, as far as he did. And, and this is after they had considered him at 26 the previous night. But he also said that there were other players, um, you know, that they – Light and who were in available in the second round and you know 
he had mentioned that he that Wusa Koromo was kind of one of a group of guys they were eyeing. So, yeah, I mean, Elijah Moore gets swept up right away, right? He I think he was a, the second pick of the second round. Yep. So if he were to fall in a similar fashion, the trade-up could have been for him too. I I think there's something to what you're saying, but I don't think it's just, you know, one guy. I think there was a group of guys and names that they had eyes on that they were going to start working the phones if they if they were to fall at a certain point. And he ended up being uh, one in that group that got to where they were able to, you know, stomach a deal. Because really, they don't want to give up picks. Um, they, they obviously entered the draft with nine picks. They ended up picking eight. We thought all along heading in that they weren't going to pick all nine. Well, they almost did, but, you know, one, one, one fewer pick. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just the trade, Dee Podesta mentioned that they liked it, that they were moving back from 89, you know, in the third round to, to 113 in the fourth round, you know, and then they ended up trading that to Detroit anyhow. But um, they liked the price. That was a nice price point for them to move up seven spots and get a guy they really liked. Uh, mm-hmm. not the only guy they really like to your point. So I, I do think there's some legitimacy to your thinking. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the other player, if, if we were to throw a name in there that they may have liked in that, that second round range, to me, it was Aziz Ojolari, the, the pass rusher from Georgia. We talked about him on past podcast. I, I was convinced that he was going to go inside the top 20 or 25 in the first round. So, to me, that that was another name. Are are you surprised at all that the Browns didn't really take a pass rusher in this draft? Yeah, that, I mean that was the one kind of surprise exiting the draft when you know you and I talked to expectations, you know what to look for, whatever. I wrote analysis about it. You know, here's five things I'd be surprised if 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 they happened or didn't happen. And. Mm-hmm. Really, almost everything happened the way I thought it would uh, in terms of positions that were addressed and, you know, the corner and and the either the first or second round. Obviously, I bet on first round and, you know, things like that. I mean, there weren't a ton of surprises that way, picking fewer than nine. But the one was that they didn't come away with a defensive end. I thought they were going to come away with a defensive end. Um, and it just speaks to, I think, and Andrew Berry said said this was true. One, the way the board fell, and two, that they like Curtis Weaver and Porter Gustin, and I think they're comfortable with having those guys compete for the fourth defensive end spot. Obviously, the, the top three would be Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, Tack McKinley, and then you, you have, you know, one of the young guys, or, you know, is there a world where both of them make it and, they, you know, they carry five defensive ends? Yeah, I mean, that could happen. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was the surprise. Now, the interesting thing is, Dan, that – I. Ojolari, I believe there's medical reason why he fell. Um, was it a knee? I think it was a knee. Um, I can't remember. Don't quote me on that, but I, I thought I read that. And then, uh, of course, we know that Jeremiah Uso Koromoa, uh, according to you know Adam Schefter's report, had a, a heart issue that was detected in the pre-draft process. He was ultimately cleared by doctors, but you know, some teams were uh, concerned enough that where, you know, a guy who was widely projected to be a first round pick was not. And, you know, obviously Andrew Barry has 
and Paul DePodesta. I asked them both about Uso Koromoa's medicals during the draft because, let's face it, that's what we're, we, we all wonder when a guy who everybody on earth is mocking in the first round falls out of the first round entirely, and then 20 picks down into the second round, it's a little hard to believe that it's just a scheme fit undersized linebacker thing. You start to wonder, is there something else to it? And there's some mm-hmm. chatter, uh, you know, online about that. And, and so, you know, in the interest of due diligence, I asked the Browns and they, they said during the draft that um, there was nothing that would concern them from a medical standpoint. That was Andrew Barry's quote. And, and Paul DePodesta said that he didn't run his 40 at, at pro day, but, because he was a little ding, but other than that, there wasn't anything that would prohibit him, you know, moving forward with the Browns. And, and so those, those quotes were made on, on Friday night after the pick. And then Monday, you know, ESPN's Adam Schefter has his report, you know, via Twitter about the heart issue, but the Browns stand by their quotes. And, and, and I knew that, and I used those quotes in, in, in the reporting Monday and, uh, you know, subsequently they did a radio blitz and, you know, the Browns put Andrew Barry and, and um, Kevin Stefanski on many local and national radio programs the past few days. And and Andrew Barry, I think, three times said that uh, <laughs> on various shows that that Uso Cormo is, is completely healthy. That, that was his quote. And uh, Uso Cormo himself went on Jim Rome and said that there was really no issues that something was detected but that it was ultimately determined not to, to be a major concern. So mm-hmm. that happens. Yeah, okay. I mean, Quiddy pay. I mean, that, that, there's a similar story with Quiddy pay, uh, but his, that story came out ahead of the draft instead of, you know, the Monday after right. Quiddy pay had, had something detected with the heart, um, you know, heading in, but then, you know, there was subsequent testing and, and other medical opinions and ultimately cleared. And then he goes to the Colts, I believe. Right. In the first yeah, round, he did. Yep. Yeah. And that look, that that's just part of the process. A lot of us aren't made aware of, you know, you, you can assume why a guy starts to fall. But that that seemingly happens every year now where, you know, teams just get scared off because who knows why pop or who knows what pops up in a guy's medical report. You know, maybe maybe it's heart arrhythmia or, or something. Who knows? But. Right. It happens all the time. A lot of guys turn out fine. Uh, so hopefully that's the case with with Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa. Um, Nate, kind of looking at the, the depth of the draft for the Browns, after Anthony Schwartz, the speed wide receiver, they took James Hudson, the offensive tackle from Cincinnati, Tommy Togiai, who is, I love saying his last name, defensive tackle from Ohio State. we got Tony Fields, the linebacker from West Virginia, safety Richard LeCount of Georgia and Demetric Felton, the running back slash wide receiver from UCLA. That's a lot of defense as expected. Uh, they, they got their backup offensive lineman in Hudson as, as expected. What, what do you think of the day three draft picks for the Browns? Do any of them stand out to you as, as intriguing or, or somebody who can make a really big impact? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a few of them really. And Hudson is interesting because, you know, we we have been talking about a, a mid-round investment in an offensive lineman is a contingency plan for you know Wyatt Teller not being extended, and they bring in Hudson, six five three thirteen, left tackle, but not much experience at Cincinnati. I think he had eleven starts, you know, ten last year, a bowl game the previous season, 
had transferred from Michigan, was originally a defensive lineman when he entered college. But they they love his feet. I mean, he's like, you know, it's just like a Wusu Koromo is that, that what they call a classic fit at Will Linebacker for Joe Wood's scheme. And, and you know, obviously he's a, a linebacker safety hybrid who won't fit in a lot of defenses, but they love the fit. Well, they love Hudson's fit on the offensive line and the movement skills are they think are perfect for the zone, uh, for the wide zone. So I think he's really interesting because they, they said they're going to they're going to put him at tackle to, to begin, but they're going to cross train him at guard. I would not be surprised if he pans out and, and ends up being a starter here in, in a year or two, whether that's, you know, for Wyatt Teller or, or Jack Conklin, they signed a th- for, to a three-year contract. So they got Conklin for two more seasons and all pro, obviously not somebody you want to lose or anything like that. But, you know, I, I, I could see Hudson being a guy of the future on the right side. And he gives them a possibility of an immediate impact as a swing tackle i mean chris hubbard's coming back from knee surgery and andrew berry said during the draft that hubbard's recovery is going well and we know how valuable he was as the as the sixth man so to speak on the offensive line playing tackle and guard last season Mm -hmm. but you know kendall lamb he was the other swing tackle the other main swing tackle and he he left in free agency like they're running it back on offense like every key contributor is back the closest thing to a significant loss is the number two swing tackle which is <laughs> it says a lot you know it's amazing the continuity they're going to have on offense but Hudson's right there to, to kind of fill that Kendall Lamb role and compete with Hubbard for his role so I think that's really interesting and then Togi I think is a real uh promising player and, and there's a bunch of bodies at defensive tackle now they've added added to that pile after the draft and and are up to eight and Mm. i'm really interested in tony fields the fifth round linebacker because he has like almost the same size as Usa koromoa and andrew berry said they also view him as a as a classic fit in the in joe wood system as a weak side linebacker so you know it's really interesting because they clearly didn't have the type of linebacker they wanted at that position for joe woods now they have a, a strong investment in a guy they had a first-round grade on, in Jeremiah Uso-Koromoa. They also have a safety valve, a backup to him, who they think will fit really well. So let's just say, you know, you, you never want to imagine anything like this, but injuries happen. Look what happened to Grant Delpit last year. Grant Delpit goes down training camp. They have no answer. They can't run the defense they wanted to. They trade for Ronnie Harrison, but he's not the same type of player. Well, here they are drafting the same type of player to back up Jeremiah Usukoromoa. You know, so if something happens with injuries, like we know it does, they have that insurance built in right now and a guy they really like and picked in the fifth round. So those are some of my thoughts on those guys, Dan. I didn't touch on every single one of them, but I, I, I those are the ones who, who immediately jump out. And I, I really think it's interesting that they took two linebackers in the second and fifth rounds who really remind themselves, remind them, of each other. And I think there's hedge there and I think it's, you know, building depth and, and it's really smart because you have a a certain type of linebacker. That's a unique player. um, You don't want to just have one of them. You you need to, if if you're really going to want to, you know, have that guy and and it's going to matter a lot to your system. Well, have another one. You didn't have another Delphi last year. Well, now you go out and you sign John Johnson, the third. So, you know, I, I, I think that, there's a comparison there between what they've just done at weak side linebacker and what they've done safety by adding uh, JJ three. 
Yeah, and, and you threw Anthony Walker into the mix at linebacker too, and it, you you really have a roster on defense at least that that is full of of kind of contingency plans. I mean, even Troy Hill, if if somebody goes down, or Greg Newsom, or you know maybe Greedy Williams is is going to be fine. We don't know, but that's interesting. Tommy Togi is the the day three guy that that really struck out to me, Nate. And you said it, they're collecting bodies at defensive tackle. I mean, just this offseason, they, they brought in Malik Jackson in free agency. Uh, they, they just signed Damian Square, who is a, a, a solid backup player. They drafted Togiai. They spent a large portion of their undrafted free agent dollars on Marvin Wilson from Florida State, who, you know, a couple of years ago was considered a first-round pick, and they... They're taking a flyer on Malik McDowell, a former first-round pick of the, the Seattle Seahawks. First first round? Second round? He was a high uh, pick of the Seahawks. Early second round, 35th overall. Yeah, that's right. What do you make of the, the defensive tackle group for the Browns as it stands? Is this just one big training camp competition and see who, see who works out? I mean, that's how I view it, yeah. I mean, you, you got eight guys there now, and you, you're probably going to keep four of them. So, you know, I think uh, Malik Jackson and, and Andrew Billings, I have them penciled in as the starters. They're the only ones of those eight who have significant, you know, starting experience, multiple seasons in the NFL. You know, and Andrew Billings, there's only two for the Bengals, but obviously Malik Jackson, a long, um, you know, accomplished career, uh, former Pro Bowler and Super Bowl winner. So that's kind of how I look at it. But, yeah, I mean, you got you obviously got a lot of guys who are going to be competing in third round pick of last year and Jordan Elliott, who you think is going to be back and, and, and heavily in the rotation there. Um, and, and, you know, the Sheldon Day, they signed, you know, practice squad guy last year. And then the four guys you just mentioned who you know, have all been added since Saturday. So they, they've still publicly uh, Barry and Stefanski said that they would welcome Sheldon Richardson back and. You know, I'm sure they would if he would agree to come back on a bargain deal. But, you know, the actions of adding all these guys don't quite match the words of we would love this guy back. And I, I think they would. But I, I also think that obviously they fully prepared not to get him back. They're, they're not operating as if they expect him to, to come back. <laughs> so uh, it would be a great story if, if Sheldon were to return. But I still think. You know, he's going to explore this free agency market that he's in, you know, especially after the draft and and teams are, are reassessing the rosters and their needs. And I, I would I would guess that he's going to end up with more money somewhere else, just like I guessed a few weeks ago when they released him. Then the Browns are are wanting to pay him for a reunion. So I think it's going to be you know a, a big competition to fill out the depth, um, you know, kind of a, behind. Um, you know, the, the Malik Jackson, Andrew Billings, uh, who's going to who's going to get those snaps after those guys? Is there anyone who can, you know, usurp a Billings? You know, um, I would not sleep on Togia. So I, I I hear you on that. I think there's a lot to like about that pick. Yeah, it's that that to me, is, it's already shaping up to me to be the most fascinating part of training camp. But the the next thing up for the Browns is rookie mini camp nate that's not this weekend it's the next weekend correct yeah it's the 14th through the 16th um kevin stefanski said it will be in person um 
So we'll see what that means for media. I'm not quite sure yet. I know there's not going to be in-person interviews, so maybe we get to watch some of a practice or two and then get on Zoom with guys, you know. So uh, I'm not sure, but we'll cover it every step of the way as much as we can, given the circumstances. Yeah. Anything else before we, we check out on a quick one this week, Nate? Uh, I don't think so. We can always get back into it more. I know we're both kind of tight on time today, but, um, you know, maybe we can record the next one over a galley boy. Hey, yeah, well, I owe you one and, and potato teasers, <laughs> apparently a milkshake. So we'll see. Maybe we'll do an in-person uh, recording for the next edition of Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. If you missed the episodes that, that came out during the draft, our, our full Browns team did a really nice job of recapping uh, days one and two of the draft. A lot of good thoughts from uh, Nate, Marla Ridenauer, Steve Dorschuk, even a, an okay one or two from George Thomas. So you can check that out if you haven't listened to those yet on our iTunes feed. Um, you can find a ton of content on, on the Browns and the draft over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. That's going to do it on Cover 2, the only podcast that matters here from the Beacon Journal. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.